folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, Matthew Collar here. We'll get into the show in just a second, but first got to tell you about Abner Maris, a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer he is today. He will discuss the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and his American dream. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to a special episode during the bye week of Purple Insider in which we tell some 2010 stories because it has been an entire decade from what the reporters who were there then called the craziest Vikings year. And one of those crazy Vikings reporters was indeed Judd Zolgad. What is up, Judd? Oh, boy, not a lot, and uh, th this is going to require me to have a few drinks during this because <laughs> this brings back a lot of stress to my life. This season does. I was going to ask you about that because last year covering the playoffs in 2019, um, just even the travel alone, there was nothing crazy that happened. But, you know, you get a couple of playoff games on the road, and you're going to New Orleans, and then it's a wild game at New Orleans. I've never been so exhausted by a game, uh, even the Minneapolis Miracle, because you think about the travel that goes into it that stadium is just as loud I remember walking out of there being like I am gassed and then oh yeah now I have to travel out to Santa Clara not so easy to get to by the way from Minnesota and so I remember like how exhausted I was from covering that and then I think about the 2010 season which had so many things that we are addressing this week with yourself Brian Murphy and Chip Scoggins going back and telling the story so I gave you options I said what do you want Zolgad because if we tried to talk about all of these we would need more space uh, in the podcast universe so mm -hmm. you selected the return of Randy Moss for what you wanted to talk about now I'll just tell you from my perspective, I was in Buffalo at the time, and in 2010, I was just kind of getting my career started in media, and I remember Bill Simmons had accidentally tweeted out that Randy Moss was returning to Minnesota, and you can take it from there because the rest uh, you know much more about than I do. 
All right. So let's actually go back to you have to go back to the 2009 NFC title game to get to where this got to. Okay. Because it was in that game, I believe that Sidney Rice suffered, I want to say a hip injury of some sort. Now, keep in mind, Rice had been a fairly high draft pick by the Vikings who had underachieved until 2009 when Favre got here. And Favre had a habit by that point in his career of making one receiver a star. Uh, I, I covered him in 2000. I covered the Packers in 2003 or four, and he decided Javon Walker was going to be his guy. And he turned Javon into an unbelievable star for one year, of course. So Rice was in, in my world, Javon Walker 2.0. Um, in the title game against the Saints, Sidney Rice hurts his hip, I believe. And then they, so he goes to a doctor after that, and they essentially say, you probably need surgery and we can do it now. Sidney Rice goes to the Vikings and says, I will have the surgery if you give me a contract extension. If you do not give me a contract extension, I will not be having the surgery. I will show up for training camp with the problem. The Vikings say, no, no contract extension. There maybe started the ball rolling on the hell that was 2010 uh, because Rice gets to training camp and goes on the pup. Now, this is without Favre present. And it turns out this is without Favre knowing that Sidney Rice was hurt, okay? This is all very important uh, because things get rolling and Sidney Rice can't play. Like, he just can't play. This hip is, I don't know if it has worsened or if the Vikings just said, we're, we're not going to give you extension. So he said, screw it. I know I can't play. That I don't know. But the Vikings worked out in the meantime uh, as they tried to recruit Favre to come back, knowing full well that he was never going to show up while they were in Mankato, the Vikings worked out a trade um, with, I believe it was A.J. Smith, the GM of the San Diego Chargers. Vincent Jackson was available and was holding out. The Vikings actually worked out the trade. It was done. And so in that world, and it would have been a good trade at that time, Vincent Jackson was going to replace Sidney Rice problem solved. Until A.J. Smith decides at the 11th hour, screw Vincent Jackson. I'm going to let him sit and stew. I'm not trading him. I don't think it had anything to do with the Vikings. He was just mad. Okay, problem back. Um, in, in the meantime, the Vikings go to great lengths to get Favre to come back again, which he does uh, clearly once they're done with the training camp portion in Mankato. And I remember asking Favre at some point in time, right before the Moss trade, I said, would you have come back if you'd known how bad the thing with Rice was? And he looked at me like I had approximately three heads, which I think was to say, of course not, you moron. I wouldn't have come <laughs> back because I made him and, and without him, it's a problem. So that's when the story I've been told behind the scenes is that um, Spielman, who did not have control of the roster. So this is very important. He, he was not GM at that time. Spielman worked out the trade with the Patriots for Moss, but went to Childress first to say, if can you coach him? Like, cause he's a pain. And at that point in time, Moss's skills were declining a bit. We didn't know how much. And Childress, my understanding has said, absolutely. I can coach him. They pulled the trigger on a trade, which was what? I believe it was a third round pick to the Patriots for Randy Moss. And I think the Vikings got back Moss and the seventh round pick. And that's when Moss shows up. And that's the night then that I want to say Bill Simmons tipped his hand. And and to your point, I I don't even remember if Simmons meant to do it. Uh, but Jay it was Glaze, an accident. He was trying to okay. DM it to Adam Schefter. That's what it was. And then yeah. Glaze, and then in the meantime, Glazer, who at that time broke a lot more news than he does now, broke the story. I was in a bar and had to rush home <laughs> to cover it. You were? I uh, can't believe I know that. you're shocked by that. I rushed home to cover it, 
But um, that was that was how the Vikings got to uh, Moss was Sidney Rice's injury coupled with the Chargers, ref- well, agreement and then refusal to trade Vincent Jackson to get a veteran receiver who wanted to be paid by the Patriots wasn't. But what we didn't realize at the time, and I don't think the Vikings did, was Belichick, who is a great observer in some ways of the human condition, saw (laughs) that Moss's performance was falling off the table very quickly. And so sent basically what was a shell of the player he had been to the Vikings. Okay, so that is true, very much, of course. We know how it played out, that he they sent half of Randy Moss back to Minnesota. However, his first game, though, do you remember this against the New York Jets? They tried to throw it to him a bunch of times, but he did have some big plays and caught four passes for 81 yards, a touchdown in a loss to the New York Jets. And then the next game, he had five catches and a win over Dallas. And so, like, did it start out decently and then fall off the table or did you get the sense from the very beginning like oh this second version of randy moss is going to be a disaster um i wouldn't say that you got the impression immediately that it was going to be a disaster but the season was already sort of off the tracks and so like nothing was tracking well if that makes sense so it wasn't that immediately you felt that the moss trade was going to blow up but it almost in some ways at that moment felt too late and, and I will say this. So Moss's reintroductory press conference at Winter Park is an all-time press conference because that's the one where he comes in and, and I remember he's introduced and Ziggy Wolf's in the back of of the room or of the practice shed where the practice or where they, they held the press conferences in that corner. And Ziggy Wolf's in the corner back there. And Ziggy Wolf is a guy who, when he got here in 2005, was tired of all the BS, right? Like all of it. And so, and Moss had been in in his mind, right or wrong, very much part of the BS. So it's 2010 and Moss is controlling this press conference and it was really bizarre. Uh, Somebody from NFL Network, if I'm not mistaken, starts to ask a question and she sort of just fumbles a bit, like nothing big, but she's like thinking through her question and he's like, next question. So it was like an auction. It's like, what's this? And at the end of that press conference, and I'm not kidding you, this is where I knew things were going to go sideways because the way that the Vikings operated was not going to work with Moss's world. Moss gets done, or he's basically done, and he says, I'm not joking, y'all lucky I wasn't on that boat because it would have been a lot worse or something (laughs) like that. And I look back, (laughs) and he's like cackling, and I'm like, no, dude, this is not good for you. This ain't going to work well. And so it wasn't that I had this immediate perspective football-wise that it was going to be a disaster. But if it's true that Spielman truly asked Childress, can you coach him? The answer was always no. Like, it should have been no. I, I don't want any part of – he's not good enough now to justify it. But, you know, Brad thought, oh, hell yeah. And with Brett – and th- this also came – I believe it was two was it two years after um, the Packers had a chance to go out and get Moss. There was some point in time where the Packers had a chance and Favre was still there. And the whole talk was, will Ted Thompson bring in Moss to team with Brett? Because it'll be great. And so I think the Vikings perceived this as, well, we'll do what the Packers didn't have the guts to, to do. But that press conference was the first time where you just had this really weird feeling about they can't handle this and they don't know it yet. 
And Childress seems like the wrong guy to try and handle a player like that anyway, much less two players that were kind of like that with, uh, yeah, Percy Harvin as well. So, but it's um, really (laughs) interesting to me, though, with Moss that today we look at Randy Moss and go like, hey, unbelievable career, all-time great player. Here's his highlights. You want to watch him again? And a cool guy who seems well-adjusted. He's on TV and he seems nice and friendly. Uh, That was not the case with Randy Moss then I think we understand it better because of the Rand University documentary and my gosh if you have not seen it see it because he was so closed off to everyone that that story was hard to tell even if you were a journalist covering him at some point during his career because he just didn't let people in and he talked about that in a press conference that I was at at Winter Park in 2017 when he was going to go up on the Ring of Honor where he talked about like yeah I kind of wish sometimes that I hadn't been just like all, you know, kind of recluse in that sort of thing that he regrets that now. And it, his change in public perception is so interesting because at the time in 2010, he was considered just a problem dude for a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, the first time that they moved on from him for, for a lot of that stuff. And then oh. if Belichick's moving on, this must be a problem again. Yeah. And he was so, so, and we, we knew this at the time, but he hadn't talked about it. Randy hated adults. He hated authority. He had a distrust of authority that went deep. The thing to keep in mind, and this was pretty clear at the time, and now it's super clear, incredibly smart guy. Well, Like yep. he was a yes. recalcitrant person, but that did not mean that he was in any way, shape, or form dumb. He was not dumb. He was, he was a student of the game of football. He was um, incredibly smart, uh, but... And he loved kids like he he would do charity work here that they wouldn't talk about behind the scenes for hours. The key was he hated authority and Brad was the ultimate authority. But there were times I I was told uh, in the offensive room where Brett and Randy would like sit in the front row and just like mock the game plan. (laughs) They they would just think the game plan. And the problem was they probably weren't wrong. So both guys were super smart. Yep. Football guys. I, I remember, so Moss would sit at his locker during the open locker room period for us. And ordinarily, as you, you know, guys like go to a lunchroom, I mean, they'll avoid it at all costs. He would sit at his locker. And I remember I walked by him one, one time and of course he wouldn't talk, but he had, um, he had no cards out like, like a pack, like a fanny pack of no cards and highlighter pens with game plan stuff. And he was going through it and like studying and it's like, you don't see this much. So that was the impressive thing. But he also, he also was, he could be a bad guy. He, um, there, there was one time where one of the TV stations, I forget, it might've been channel four came up to Asher Allen, a young cornerback at that time, his locker. And I was standing there and he's sitting there and Moss is behind him at his locker and the guy at the station or gal said, can you talk, Asher? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. So they turn the camera towards where Moss's locker is, but they're not talking to Moss. And, you know, they, they talk to him briefly and they get done. And they get done and Asher Allen goes back to sit down and Moss says something like, never do that again. I don't want a camera pointed towards me ever. It was like, it was like, whoa. So like this was a deep dude. He was confusing at times. Um, and he was, 
he was more than they could handle. And the last point off this is he literally, in a lot of ways, as far as a Viking, ruined Percy Harvin because Percy loved him. Like, mm-hmm. Percy was huge. And Percy wasn't himself a great talent. But Randy, he, like, worshipped the ground that Moss walked on. And so to the day that Moss got let go, I think Percy went to Moss's place to help him move and stuff. And so so Percy, I think, when, when it came to Childress, was on the fence about Brad to start with, and that pushed him over the edge completely. So Moss 2.0 here did way more damage than good, and it went way beyond the field. But the Vikings were so desperate that they were basically said, let's try it. And the problem with Favre is Favre didn't care. Favre's like, hell yeah, that's fine. But but once he, he was such a dynamic person that once he got in that room, there was no one who was going to pull it back and tone it down. His game against New England is the last game, and that is on Halloween. A nightmare on Halloween 2010. Get it? Yeah, Am I right? See what you did, yeah. Uh, yep. And he catches one pass for eight yards. It's a bad loss. Um, how did it officially fall apart with Randy Moss 2.0 in Minnesota. Oh, this is a beautiful story. Belichick in his infinite wisdom, because Bill Belichick, no matter what you say, and he might be a a jackass, he's smarter than you and me. Bill Belichick looked at an aging Moss. So like you could have rolled the dice there. Like he wasn't great. He was not playing well. And was his third game against the Packers? Was that the third um, game he played for the Vikings? Yes, it was Jets. Okay. And then a Dallas went against the Packers. He caught three passes for 30 yards and a touchdown. And the Packers game is where you knew it was a mess because um, Favre threw a pass to Moss. I want to say it was in the back of the end zone. And Moss, and th- think about this for a second, alligator armed the ball. He's like, oh, wow. I could catch that. Oh, I'm not going to catch that. Hmm. Like, this is so anti-Moss. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. So. I saw him pull his arm down on that pass, and I'm like, ooh, this is not good. Um, so, But Belichick didn't care. Belichick rolls a safety to him the entire game. So, like, Be- Belichick's like, I don't care if the Vikings beat me. You ain't doing it. So, literally the whole game. And the game plan, and you could see Moss is pissed. And Moss was really mad because I think Moss probably, I want to say, my memory serves now, and it's a long time ago. I want to say that Moss had come to the coaches with a bunch of ideas, and they're, they're like, oh, no, 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 we got this. We, right? We're football <laughs> which, people. We which, by this. the way, later on, Bill Belichick, you know, nine years later when they're doing the top 100 players ever, tells a great story about how Randy would challenge him all the time on the game plan and how much he loved it and yeah. how much he was like, this guy would think of things that nobody's ever thought of before schematically and everything else, and he's the smartest player I've ever coached or one of the smartest players. It's like, hey, uh, Brad, maybe listen to Randy Moss. But he wouldn't listen to anybody. Anybody. Seems, so. But, I mean, so, so – this is Moss's team. Like he knows this team. Yeah. And and so so Bill's like, well, I'm going to roll a safety over in your direction almost all the time that you're playing. So you're going to be held to one catch. And um, so people think to this day, people think that Moss got cut because during the course, I believe, of the Patriots week, that he had gone into the locker room on Friday. And at that time at Winter Park, there, there was a spread that the players ordered in each week on Friday yeah. and it would be a different supplier. And it was Tanucci's. And the story is, and the story is true, but Moss walks in and I don't know if he picked up some of the food or what, but the line was, I wouldn't feed this bleep to my dog. And so this story got out. 
So the fan base and the press were, were like, well, he got cut eventually because of, of that. What really transpired was, well, two things. One is Moss, I think, upon arrival here, wanted a contract extension, and they said no, which ticked him off. But probably the more important thing was after the Patriots game, the Wilfs, as they always are, were in the locker room, win or lose, right, waiting for the team to come in because they always do. And then he, he, they, they hear the coach address the team, blah, blah, blah. So Moss and a fullback by the name of Fahu Tahi are the first two who get into the room because Moss basically bolted off the field as Moss did when Moss was ticked. He looks at the Wilfs, and it was it was the Wilfs, and I think they sometimes bring friends in too, right? So this is like their entourage, and they're very proud. This is their football team, and yeah, we've lost to the Patriots, but we're going to hear the coach talk. And the story that I heard was Moss got in the locker room with Tahi. They walked in, and he looks at Wilf and says, y'all better get yourself a new bleeping coach because this bleeper can't coach, and goes <laughs> off and is dropping – is dropping a lot of probably objectionable words uh -huh. because I think the Wilfs bring in like friends who are sometimes yes. younger yeah. kids too. So this is not just, you know, a bunch of grizzled football people. Um, that gets back to Brad. Brad then decides the next day without telling the Wilfs that he's going to cut Moss. He cuts Moss, goes and does his Monday after press conference, which it gets really weird. And to his credit, Bob Sansevier of the Pioneer Press says to Brad at the podium, did you cut him? Like, this is just really weird. Brad's like, no, no. We get back to the press room. NFL Network is reporting that Moss has been <laughs> cut. The problem is that that um, Brad didn't tell the Wilfs that he had cut the player. And, and then the last part of the story is we, we go over to the locker room at uh, Winter Park for the access period. And the only guy who comes in the room the entire time, poor linebacker Ben Lieber comes in there and he's distributing like NFL PA flyers. I'm serious. And we're like, Hey Ben, did they just cut Randy Moss? And he's like, yeah. And that's how we found out. That's how the Wilfs found out through the media. And so that's how, if you're a coach who's just gone to the conference title game, you get fired. So within, I think it was, I want to say it's 28 days within 28 days, it went from, Get out your 84 jerseys, which is what Moss said. Get out your 84 jerseys. Get those out to Randy Moss being cut by Brad Childress to shortly after that, the next month, Brad being fired after a loss to the Packers. Nearly 10 years to the day that you are listening to this podcast, all of that transpired, and one Judd Zolgad was there. And uh, it's what's remarkable is that that is not the craziest thing to happen the entire year. That's just one small subset. And we've been talking for this long about that specific subset. Now, what's interesting to me, Judd, is that this did not really, at least by the time I got here, damage his reputation as a Minnesota Viking. That it was fascinating to me to learn about that because Adrian Peterson and his transgressions certainly damaged the Adrian Peterson love. There are still people out there who will fight you to the death on AP, but a lot of people go, eh, 
not real happy about that whole thing with uh, the child and so forth, and uh, not so happy with some of his other act that went on in my first year here in 2016 of breaking the news he was coming back on his radio station, some other silliness that went on. Uh, but with Randy Moss, uh, really bulletproof when it came to this, that even though he had acted the way that he acted, even though he did not perform at the same type of level at all, it just when you are so iconic with a franchise, even if something like that happens, it's mostly kind of just the tiniest blip on the radar that people pretty much look right over. It's twofold. Um, one is it, it was so short and Childress was not liked. Yeah. So like Brad has seen, Brad is seen as the bad guy. And also that 2010 was so goofy that the Moss story fits into it, but it's not to your point from before. It's not the story. The other thing is as great as, as Peterson was, and he's great. He didn't, I don't think cause a huge segment of the state to become fans. Yeah. Like, like Moss Good literally point. took people who were like, what am I going to watch here to, Oh my God, the Vikings <laughs> are great. The Vikings are great. Yeah. Um, Moss changed that franchise. So his stint from 98 to 2004. So overrides the, the four games that he returned here that I don't think people hold those against him. And also, aside from, from the deal downtown where the person was trying to give him a ticket and he decided to shove her with, with his car a bit, there wasn't really off-the-field stuff about Moss. Right. It was objectionable. So, But I really think it comes down to one thing. In 1998, Randy Moss single-handedly helped redefine who a Vikings fan was, and people love that. And that group was not about to abandon him because in Brad's mind, he screwed Brad. And I think that the post-career stuff where, the, I mean, it's really, truly shocking to me who he was then, that he seems like a guy that disappears into the mountains of West Virginia and builds a mansion, never talks to anyone again. Fishing, Matthew. Right? I, right? Right? I was shocked. I was shocked. I was shocked. But I'm glad because he's a really smart dude. Yeah. Yep. And like he's he, a really smart dude. And he's become just a good broadcaster. And even though sometimes, you know, he has this kind of – jokes that fall flat or whatever when it's on TV, but he just is likable. And you feel like a guy who went through so much early in his life um, that you sort of understand what he's come through to be more stable now. And you can easily kind of wash some of that other stuff out because of what he dealt with and the reason why he did have such adversarial relationships with people. And it's always interesting to me to talk to people who played with him, like Gus Farratt and I talked about this a, a while back. Gus said that, you know, they played cards all the time and Randy was just kind of one of the guys to the players, like mm -hmm. to everybody else on the outside. He was something very, very different, but to the guys that played with him, he was another player and he didn't put himself, you know, kind of above the team or anything else like that in the, in the good days of Randy Moss before we end up getting to the end. So um, a really fascinating guy that I never tire of talking about in Randy Moss, Judd, and I have greatly um, enjoyed this 2010 story. Thank you for doing it. PTSD for me. Thanks a lot, Collar. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love that you never get tired of talking about it, though. You've always got energy for 2010 stories. Oh, it's like, yeah. I will never see, I hope to God, another year like that. I've only got room for one of those seasons. 
want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a t-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. And we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Okay, to continue our series looking at 2010, since it's been 10 years since the craziest season on record ever covered by Minnesota Vikings reporters, we bring in one of the great all-time Minnesota <laughs> Vikings reporters, Chip Scoggins, to talk about the collapse of a roof. What is up, Chip? <laughs> I don't know about the all-time great, but I was there for the collapse of the roof. <laughs> and I, right. I did. Uh, well, you know what? You know what, Matthew? We we one time we uh, we jotted down a list of 2010. And you'd be amazed, like, number 13 on that list would be, like, the biggest story most years. And it, was, it was 13 in 2010. I, I, you know, it's just amazing all the stuff that happened. So I talked with Zolgad about the return of Randy Moss and with Brian Murphy about um, Brett Favre and, and all the experiences and appendages that ended up in the uh, news uh, for that <laughs> season and such. Uh, but, you know, I, I just uh, I picked the big three to cover here with you three guys. Yes. And so uh, in terms of the dome collapse, my recollection of it is pretty much just those famous Star Tribune photos. And yes. seeing them over and over and over again on Sports Center and everything else, and just like the the ticker at the bottom, the the roof collapses and everything else. And yeah. aside from that, though, Chips, yeah, I know a lot about Randy Moss and Brett Favre. I don't know a yeah. lot about what it must have been like to cover the roof collapse. So start wherever you want. Start with well, when you found out that it fell down. Well, I will say this. So that week, I was doing the Sunday story, the big advance. And I was so happy and proud of this story. So I, back in the old, back in the old days, back in those days, in the in the Met, in the uh, Metrodome locker room, after a game, they used to have these big hampers, like laundry, you know, the hampers. And guys would throw their playbook from that week in the hamper on the way out the door. And so I had this idea. I wanted to start from the moment that guys throw those those binders, and they're and they're like binders that you get, you know, for for school. The moment they throw them in there to game time, like the process of putting together a game plan and take me through the steps. And the, and the Vikings were great about it. Um, I got with Daryl Bevel, who was the offense coordinator, and different coaches, and like literally day by day how they construct a game plan and the, the down to how they fill out the plate card, like how it's arranged. You know, it's this big story. Bev, I, I wrote this out. Bevel actually gave me a – one of their play calls is like, give me, give me a call. Like what would Favre say in the huddle? And this was a pass play. This is what he would say. This is, this is inside football here. This is, yeah, it is red, left, tight, close swap, Z, right, sprint, right, G, U, corner, halfback, flat. (laughs) Here it is. Red, left, tight, close swap, Z, right, sprint, right, G, U, corner, halfback, flat. So that was a pass play. He said, that's just a common play. So I mean, one that tells you how long their verbiage was for that. Yes. Yes. 
so I, so I wrote this big story and it's, I'm just proud of it. And it's running Sunday. And my phone rings about 6 a.m. And it's Kevin Seifert, who, you know, my former colleague at the Strib. And he was, at the time, he was covering the NFC North for ESPN.com. He covered all the, all the teams. And he's like, and we knew there was a heavy snowfall. We knew there was an issue about clearing the snow off the, off the roof. Um, but he's like, hey, man, did you see Fox 9? And I was like, no. He's like, you better turn on your TV. So I turn it on, and, they, you know, they're showing repeatedly where the roof, you know, that, that infamous video where the roof caves in and the snow just comes falling. And I remember sitting there just, you know, it's pitch dark. It's, you know, whatever time early morning, I'm, I'm thinking, this is bad. Like, <laughs> I remember just thinking, like, what are we going to do? Like, how, you know, you're sitting there thinking, like, how are they going to play a game? How's this going to work? So it, it, so that started the day, and I remember calling Judd, and and he was aware, and I was like, and we were calling our bosses, and we're like, you know, you start reporting, and you're like calling the Vikings, and they're like, we don't know, you know, how this is going to go. And so that day went on. I can't remember if we went out to Winter Park or they made people available. But at the same time, you know, the NFL is trying to figure out how they're going to play that game. And it, it starts, you know, there are several options. And it became, you know, apparent that Detroit was going to be the one. And so we're, you know, we're scrambling to try to get to Detroit that night while reporting the story. And, and um, I remember we finally flew to Detroit that night. We landed about midnight and just thinking – this is unbelievable. This is so surreal. Even, you know, as, as weird as this season has been and everything that's taken place, we're landing at 10, you know, at midnight on a sun, on a Sunday to cover a home game in Detroit after the, you know, the roof caved in. And so it was, <laughs> it was uh, you know, it was the icing on the, on the cake, but it was, yeah, just, I remember turning on that video and just sitting there staring at the TV, like, I don't even know where to start on this. <laughs> you know? So your story then did not happen. Nobody read it. Right. Nope. Yeah. Well, no, it ran, but no way. Yeah. I think like three people read it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. You read it. Oh, that, was, that was the other thing. He's like, yeah, no one's going to be reading this story. <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud of it. I think like three people read it. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I've definitely been there. Um, you know, I – you write one. Sometimes you write them and you think, well, no one's going to read this anyway. Uh, sometimes <laughs> you think, oh, I got a gem here. And then immediately it's blown up. So I'm sorry that that happened to you. That sounds yeah. like a great story. You could uh, <laughs> tweet out the link or something like that. Um, did you now, so how up close did you see it? Like right after it collapsed? Did you go inside of it? Did they let people inside? No, 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 no. It was, um, well, remember our, our, uh, the Star Tribune building that we worked in was right across the street at the time. Oh, it's, okay. You know, um, it's when they when they uh, tore down the dome and put up uh, U.S. Bank, they they bought our our property, and so we moved downtown. Um, but we were literally right across the street from the Metrodome, and so I don't think I drove downtown. They definitely, uh, I don't think, let anyone in that day. They eventually did after a couple days. I think they kept. Uh, maybe in that old baseball press box or the old football press box, maybe they, they let people in just to shoot video and, and still photos. Um, but I don't think we went downtown that day. I think we did that all two, 2020 <laughs> virtually, you know, remotely. Um, but I think they made um, the Lester Bagley for sure talked 
Um, and I, I assume Leslie did too, just trying to, you know, I don't, I can't remember if they made any players available, but um, really it was just in, in our new side, people helped us. Um, but it, it was, you know, part of the thing was just trying to figure out, you know, how are they going to finish the season? And that, that was your, your thought is like, you know, um, cause we, we, you know, we figured out the Gophers didn't have heating coils and that was going to be a problem cause it's, you know, it's dead of winter and you, it, you wonder if that field was going to be playable. Um, because it was just, it was going to be frozen. And so you start thinking, well, maybe that's not even an option. Um, so all these different scenarios are like, are they going to have to play every game on the road now to finish up the season? Um, and so it was just trying to, you know, to, to for the Vikings, their their heads had to be, you know, just spinning like, what, how are we going to complete this season? So I, I remember it, was, it just felt chaotic that day felt completely, it felt like a blur, but it felt chaotic just trying to, cause there's a million scenarios going on in your head. Like, how's this going to work? You know, something that uh, I remember popping up from time to time because I was in Buffalo. So Buffalo always got talked about as a team that could move to Los Angeles. Um, how much of a conversation was that then? Was that, was that a thing then when the well, roof collapsed? Yeah. And I think it became a, a, a negotiating ploy. Um, because that Los Angeles was always out there and then the stadium issue um, was contentious and it was, you know, they needed it, it done, nobody wants to pay for it. So it, it was always a conversation. And then when that happens, um, it upped the ante where, okay, listen, we got to have a new stadium here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's this is not um, being unreasonable to think that we need a new stadium. Look what happened. The dome literally collapsed. We have to have a new stadium. And so I think that, that increased the urgency to get something done, and it also gave uh, the Wills leverage to say, you know, Los Angeles, it's warm. The dome's not going to collapse in Los Angeles. And whether people took that threat legitimately or not, um, I think it did. Like I said, it, it 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 created more momentum, I think, to get the stadium done. Yeah, I mean, how crazy. I, I don't – yeah, uh Matt, I don't think fixing the ceiling, repairing the ceiling was going to be an option. I, I don't right. think so. Well, let's just repair the ceiling, put it, the ceiling, put it back in. It's like, no, you have to have a new stadium now. Right. It was already a garbage bin, right? Yes. I mean, it was it was in really bad shape. Uh, I wonder, though, from your perspective, from covering so many games inside of that place, just how weird that was. Like, you've just yeah. done it well, so many times, and then all of a sudden there it is in, in shambles. Yeah, and it's um, – as as dumpy as it was with the concourses and lack of suites and um, just all the, the warts that it had, that was a heck of a home field advantage. I mean, it got loud in there. And you go back to that Dallas playoff game, that's still one of the loudest. It wasn't how it was for the Superdome in uh, 09, but it, it was pretty loud. Um, and so and baseball obviously gave, uh, you know, the World Series was tremendous home field advantage. Um uh, Terrible place to watch baseball, but <laughs> rocking it was. Uh, so it, yeah, I mean, you, it was something that they used to their advantage. That noise in there, and so um, it was beautifully imperfect. You know, I mean, it just, because it was, it could be so loud and such an advantage for them, but it also just had. You know, when you look at all these different marvels, stadiums going up with all the bells and whistles, and you looked at the Metrodome, it just had none of that. You know. <laughs> Um, it had one redeeming quality. Um, but yeah, so then when it, when it collapses, um, I think I remember that day thinking that's the end of that place. You know, I just, I didn't think, 
you knowing where they how much they wanted a new stadium and and just knowing how much expensive that would be to I didn't know if it's possible I guess you could repair it and put it back up or whatever but um it just it just felt like all right that's <laughs> so long Metrodome that was the end of, <laughs> that was the end of the line at that point what was the uh, aftermath like I mean the game in Detroit oh, had to be super yeah. weird and uh, Murph and I talked a little bit about just Favre and how the you know venue change plays into the end of Favre's career as yeah. well but it just had to be a bleep show after that well it was it was just it it felt i i keep saying chaos was the word because you know we go there and that was just surreal i mean you know you're playing the the giants in detroit and you know i can't remember the number of fans that they let in i wouldn't say you had made it in 15 20 000. it wasn't like you thought okay there'd be 10 people here no there there's people that came because i i don't even know if they charged the mission um but it was it was a weird environment. But I, I remember even you know talking to guys after the uh, the game, and you're still thinking, okay, what's going to happen the rest of the way, you know? And then um, then you got settled on that you're going to play at TCF Bank, and all of a sudden you got you know 20 feet of snow you got to clear out of there, and it was like all week they were getting students and paying them, and they were working around the clock to get that snow out. Um, and they, you know, they got most of it out, and they realized they were going to play it. And then, um, oh, by the way, the field's frozen. What are you going to do? And then Chris Cluey, I think, was the first player to say, hey, this thing's frozen. Someone's going to get hurt. And then the NFL PA, I think, uh, voiced their concerns about it. And so they, and then they got the heaters that they put a tarp uh, over the field and blew heat over it, and so that, that warmed it up. But even then, I think players were concerned about it. And uh, that night – I think it might even snowed that night when they played uh, Chicago back here. And uh, and then Favre, you know, that was the Favre. He was out. And then the day of the game, they declared him out. And then I didn't know you could do this. They declared him out, and then we got a call, I want to say around 11 noon, something like that, <clears throat> on, on that Monday. Because it was a Monday night game, right? And uh, said Favre's been upgraded to – I think questionable or whatever. And it's like, I didn't even know that what you're out, you're out, you know? Uh, but sure enough. Yeah. He, uh, he played and then he got, you know, that slammed into that, that frozen turf. And um, that was it, you know? Um, shouldn't have been playing. I mean, it sounds, it seems like yeah, he should have just, been playing. It should have just stayed out, you know, but it was, it was far, but he wanted to play and, um, you know, and then um, I think they went back to Detroit, right? After that. We had Philadelphia, and then they ended up in Detroit last game. Um, and then the, the whole Philadelphia debacle, the, the blizzard that wasn't. Um, so it was those last five weeks just, you know, when you got to the end of like, you're just literally shaking your head. Like, I can't even believe this is – is this – like, are we being punked? <laughs> <laughs> Can this be happening, you know? Um, so, yeah, but that that those two weeks, you know, starting from – Sunday when it collapsed, Sunday morning until – I think the Bears game was a Monday nighter. is was a night game. I can't remember if it was Sunday or Monday. But, um, you know, just wondering if that stadium was going to be prepared to host a game. You know, you weren't sure if it was going to be even playable. And I, I can't remember – because I remember the Vikings went down there and did a walkthrough. It would have been a couple days or a day before or whatever. And that's – I think when Cluey tweeted out, like, this field is frozen. It's not playable, you know. And so I think there was some debate right up until – I don't want to say kickoff, but, you know, up until that next game day that whether the field was going to be playable. And then they get killed. 
and then I, and then it's yeah, just, it, and then it's just a complete mess. Yeah, and then the game was awful, and um, you know, it just after Favre goes out, and then uh, yeah, you know, I think. I think guys were just done at that point. I remember talking to Brian Robinson um, this, you know, not too long ago about that 2010 season. And, you know, guys, they're, you know, he said at the end of that season, you're ready just to go home. You wanted to be done with it. You didn't want to think about it. Just everything that went wrong, you just wanted to just completely forget that that even happened, you know. And so I think, you know, I think guys were just ready to be done at that point. But did you – they they rallied it in you know in Philadelphia they played great you know competitive spirit but um, I think that last month guys were just ready for the season to be done. Did you guys rank dome collapse number one in Has terms be, of the yeah. craziest thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, that I mean that's you know people say what's the 2010 the, the year this the roof collapsed like literally not figuratively well figuratively and literally the. The roof collapse. So that one would be one. I think the Moss has to be two. You know, you had a coach fired in the middle of the season. Um, well, you know, I think that season started with Percy and his migraines and collapsing on the field. And um, so, uh, yeah, but nothing could top the your your dome literally collapsing. You can always tell in camp when something's coming your way. And uh, I, I don't know. In 2018 – felt like the same sort of like in camp it's going to get crazy in 2016 when Teddy gets hurt you know it's just going to be wild from there so yeah I'm sure you yeah it's it, that's, that's how it was like, like yeah Percy I remember he I think he started seeing he collapsed on the field we're, we're, in, we're in Mankato it was back up at the facility and they I think he actually brought the ambulance on it's just he had a, a really bad migraine episode and uh and you know it really started before that where they had to drag far about him you know send a plane down there and to get him and and you know I think if he had a do over I think everybody would just said okay 2009 was great let's let's turn the page and move on um, but when you had a, when you have to drag a guy and you know beg him to come back and play probably you shouldn't play you know <laughs> <laughs> although I'm sure Favre at least anticipated the roof staying on when he resigned <laughs> well he he didn't think Sidney Rice would postpone his surgery. And he certainly didn't think the roof was going to collapse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of things that happened. I'm sure that, you know, no one thought that was coming. I mean, you know, in the whole far mo- month or the whole Moss month, I mean, that was just, you're bringing back, this, you know, the, one of the most popular players and greatest players in your franchise. And it lasts a month and then coach, you know, cuts them without telling the owners and just the, the, the Moss press conference and, in Boston was unbelievable. It knew after that game that was that was an all timer too, you know. So <laughs> there there should be a book. I hope somebody writes a book, you know, about two thousand because you know maybe maybe me and Judge should collaborate. I, I was gonna say, I mean, the opportunities are right there for you, Chip. That you and uh, you and Judd. Uh, well, feel free to take the idea of 2010 stories here from the podcast and put it in written form someday. Chip, this has been super fun. I always love catching up with you. And congratulations on getting the key <laughs> to the city of Austin, Minnesota. Uh, I'm very proud of you. That's awesome. Thank you. It was an awesome gesture from the people of uh, Austin. And it's, uh, 
it's a cool city, man. I have a special place in my heart for them. Yeah, it definitely is. I had a chance to go there uh, this summer and go to the Spam Museum. So uh, <laughs> thank you again, Chip. Congratulations on that. And we will talk again soon, man. All right, brother, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. For me personally, can't travel to games this year. It's been weird, so I've been watching all the Vikings games from home on the road, just like you have. Pepsi is the refresh that you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it, or in my case, those who cover it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring even more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Here along with Brian Murphy, looking back at 2010 in our 2010 series. So let's begin with just far returning in 2010. I'll tell you from someone who was not here when this happened, what I remember was the story of Ryan Longwell going down and talking the old gunslinger into it. So maybe you can just start there and give some perspective on how Favre decided to return after the way the 2009 ended. Well, it wasn't just Longwell. It was uh, – Longwell might have gone down a couple times during the offseason to take his temperature. I know Brad Childress did, and uh, Favre and Childress never got along and never saw eye-to-eye. They had a, a well-documented tiff on the sideline even during that magical 20-2009 season. I think it was down in Charlotte uh, when the Vikings were getting rolled and, and, and Childress wanted to bench him, and Favre just swatted his hand away on national TV. So it started there. So, you know – Childers went down and, and tried to take his temperature and Favre just kind of aw shucks him and, and there was really no conclusions. But just before training camp started, or I think it was actually during, it might have been during training camp, uh, toward the end of it when they were in Mankato, it was Ryan Longwell, uh, Jared Allen, and Steve Hutchinson, sort of the old guard. Uh, it, uh, Ziggy chartered a jet. They, they went down from uh, the Eden Prairie Airport to Hattiesburg, uh, went down on the ranch, uh, rode the golf cart, uh, pointed out the wild turkeys, probably had a few cocktails, grilled some meat. And essentially what it boiled down to is those three guys were like, hey, don't do it for the records. Don't do it for, uh, 
your coach. Don't do it even for the fans. Do it for the guys in the locker room, uh, the guys that kind of sweat, sweated and toiled and bled for you last year, and you bled with them as well. If you want to do this, A, we need to know. <laughs> we need to know now. And B, do it for us. Do it for the guys. And it sort of became a rallying cry because he was the 22nd returning starter from that 20, uh, 2009 season. They returned all 22 guys, and everybody just thought – all you got to do is plug in and play, and they'll be 12 and four again, and and look what could happen. Favre was checked out mentally all off season. Uh, he came back in okay shape, but he got beat up badly in the NFC Championship game in, in New Orleans. I don't think he really wanted to play. And oh by the way, besides the appeal to his uh, "Do it for the boys" uh, campaign from those three, Ziggy Wolf also backed up a truckload of 20 million dollars as well to sweeten the pot, and. Uh, you know, I'm sure looking back at what happened, not only on the field, but off the field with Brett Favre that season, he probably can give you 20 million reasons he should have just stayed on <laughs> and, and just walked away peacefully uh, the way it ended up. But it was such a, um, you know, because, again, this wasn't the first time he had uh, uh, danced around retirement. This had been a yearly thing, both right. with Green Bay, with the Jets, and with the Vikings. So it was sort of a there was so much desperation in the air. The Vikings and their fans were just so bitter and so, so close. And, uh, you know, you, you could even blame it. You could blame it on a million things, what happened in that game, but also Greg Williams and his assassin defense. And yeah. they beat up on Favre and, and they, the Vikings just need one more crack at this. And uh, you, you just can't rec- recreate magic like that. And, and clearly as the season showed all year long, Far was the least of their worries. Everything else fell apart too. Well, and that's where I wanted to go is, so you get to the start of the season and uh, it's immediately bad for the offense. You score 19 points in the first two games. I mean, the defense plays pretty well, but when was it that everyone had the sense? Like, was it right away or was it be patient? I, I mean, did he look so bad early on that everyone just went, oh no, what well, have people- we done? People forget, too, Sidney Rice was injured. Sidney Rice was their number one receiver the year before. It was an emerging star, and Favre loved him. He had a hip injury. I think he had surgery in the offseason. I'm not even sure he played all year, but I know he missed at least the first six weeks, probably, or was projected to miss that. So that was strike number one. Uh, I thought that, you know, they went down to New Orleans, and it was sort of this vengeance game and a lot of talk. Uh, I was down there the whole week leading up to that. It was the Thursday night opener. And it was all about, you know, the, the, the bounties and, and how dirty the Saints were and who was going to get back and who. It was, a, it was an ugly 14 to 10 boring game that did not live up to any hype. But then they came home. I believe they played Miami. You may have the, the – I do, yeah. And they lost, they lost to Miami 14. And Miami was also. terrible. And I think that was when people realized this is not going well. Because, he threw three picks. Uh, you're yeah. at home. Miami was mediocre at best. And they got pretty much handled at home. Um, Remind me where they went after that. They went to Detroit and got a win as uh, Vikings team. As they're wont to do. Um, But he also played horrible in that game. I mean, he averaged uh, like six yards a pass and threw two picks, only 200 yards. They still won because their defense was good. But I mean, he didn't play well at all through the first three weeks of the season. Um, and then after that, you end up with a, a really bad loss to the Jets where he only goes 14 for 34. Yes. And that game, of course, uh, was overshadowed. Great. Well, at that point, they had already 
gone back, gone out and signed Randy Moss after the Raiders had let or uh, the the Patriots had let him go. Um, so the, the big hype going into that game in New York, it was a Monday night game in the Meadowlands, and it was Moss is back in a Minnesota uniform. Favre is going for a touchdown record, which he actually did set, I think, for passes, career touchdown passes, get the shot to Moss, which is a great storyline. The Vikings found a way to lose that game, but the big thing hanging over that entire week was this is when Deadspin had come out with its story revealing uh, sexting pictures that Favre had allegedly and had been, I think, pretty much legitimized that he had sent uh, genitalia shots, as it were to a former Jets and sideline reporter named Jen Sturger uh, during his one season in New York. This story, I, I, I know it broke late in the week. It kind of didn't get addressed early on. But what I recall is in the media room in New York, all of the New York media was there waiting to grill him about this after the game. And this is a Monday night game. It's like midnight. They're all on hard deadlines. It was kind of a zoo. And basically he – sidestepped, avoided, uh, dodged, and basically said, I'll talk about anything that happened out on the field today, which wasn't much, but I'm not going to address this. But it was kind of uh, fun watching, like, the New York Post and the New York Daily News and whoever else was there, their society columnists grilling Brett Favre <laughs> postgame after a blowout loss in the bowels of the Meadowlands. Uh, I got to imagine at that podium right there, he's thinking, God, I wish I would have just stayed in heading want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a t-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. And we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. (laughs) That particular incident, it really kind of washed over in history where the 09 season was so special for him that the 2010 is more of a shrug and that particular incident is more of a shrug, which I think is interesting analyzing what sticks to somebody and what doesn't like Adrian Peterson, his thing with beating the kid like that sticks. That will be a first thing that everybody brings up when Adrian Peterson comes up. Great player, but with Randy Moss, a lot of his issues did not stick at all. Whether he was, you know, a problem for his coaches or teammates or, you know, when it came to not really trying for the Raiders or running over a parking attendant or straight cash homie or whatever. It all became kind of the Randy Moss lore in the long run. Where with Favre, this is just one of those things where it's sort of like a, (laughs) yeah, remember that. Uh, But, you know, I guess I, I wonder what it was like when it was happening because, in the long term, you know, 10 years later, I don't think it's the hundredth thing that comes up when Brett Favre comes up and his public perception is not problematic at all. Well, I think it, it probably should because it's easy to dismiss him as the good old boy and, and just kind of laugh it off. But um, these were unsolicited pictures. And this was not something Jen Sturger was asking for or deserved to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the... the the, what, Brett Favre marrying, I think, his hot college or high school sweetheart, Deanna, you know, they, 
they, they, every team he's ever been with has always been quick to shove him out there as a family role model as well. She had to endure this publicly. I mean, she stuck with him. I think she even put a statement out at that time or shortly after that, standing by her man. Um, it was easy for the cynics to, to scoff at it. Uh, it didn't have, I mean, it was seedy, but it didn't have the, the, the visceral reaction of, say, a, a child abuse scandal uh, that, that Adrian Peterson would endure several years later. It, it was, you know, and this was at the time, too, Deadspin, they admittedly paid for the information. Um, I don't know if it ever came from Sturger herself, but it came from somebody uh, with access to the Jets' communications. It, it, it felt dirty all around. Uh, the fact, and the fact that it was New York uh, stirred it up. I mean, this got a lot of attention on, you know, Good Morning America and, and, and that kind of thing. In fact, I may be wrong about this, but I seem to remember Deanna Favre doing one of those sort of feel-good sit-downs on The View or something like that to kind of address this. She took a little more bullet flack than he did over this. But while the Vikings were also imploding, I don't think fans here cared. I think fans here were just like, yeah, that sucks. Uh, it's, it's, it's dirty. It's ugly. But why can't he complete a pass? Why can't we protect him? Why <laughs> yeah, can't we, yeah. uh, you know, the typical myopic, uh, you know, the season's falling apart. I don't really care what he did in his private life. That's kind of where right. it went. And you're right, it just it fizzled away pretty quickly. I think part of it, too, and maybe this was insinuated and not directly said, was Favre and painkillers and things like that. And one thing that I know that fans do not realize is how – um, addicted to pain kill killers. Many NFL players are as they're going throughout their careers. Uh, I've heard some stories just behind the scenes about certain players. You go, that doesn't sound good for your kidneys or anything else, sir. These guys are lunatics when it comes to this. So I'm not saying that I would give him a free pass for doing something really disgusting and something that many women journalists deal with and never uh, put out there that they have to deal with. But um, I think that Favre probably at that point in his life had a lot of problems with his body and was probably doing a lot to try and get back on the field that would have impacted him as a person as well. And, you know, maybe 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 that's part of the reason why people go, okay, yeah, that was really messed up. But also this this guy was dealing with some stuff. Well, he he did not play well with the Jets. I think people kind of forget that hiccup of a season because when you look at you know he, re he finally retired with the Packers the Jets coaxed him out uh, I think he was nursing hamstring or groin problems all season the Jets were average at best I don't remember I know they didn't make the playoffs and it was just sort of chalked up as well he's done then he comes back and he has this fantastic season with the Vikings so that kind of erases the memory of the Jets season and again it's two years after the the pictures had allegedly or, or worse sent right uh, that the story broke um, if he stayed in retirement, my guess is that it, it would have never come out. Um, and, and let's hey, let's be honest about Brett. Uh, not exactly the most self-aware or sharpest to, uh, knife in the drawer when it comes to global implications of snapping a picture of your penis and sending it to a woman on a flip phone, because this is 2010. Yeah. I don't even know yeah. how clear it looked, but I don't think he realized – wow, this could be out there forever. Right. I think he was just bored in his, probably his apartment in New York or his condo where he wasn't living. And he just was like an 18 year old idiot. And unfortunately, or fortunately for her sake, uh, unfortunately for her sake and for his, 
it became a national story. So right. I don't, I, you know, again, you got to remember that too. 2010, it was only 10 years ago, but in terms of technology, uh, I know I still had a flip phone. I think from what I remember, these were texted via flip phone. This was yep. not, uh, uh, today this would have been on Twitter in 15 minutes. Uh, but that story and that kind of established Deadspin a bit as this edgy, uh, I don't want to say journalistic force because they paid for the information, but it certainly elevated Deadspin's profile yep. as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just you know, not it, none of that. What you said is to excuse what he did, and uh, I think that the way that women journalists have been treated in sports by athletes, colleagues, all those things is horrifying in many instances, and maybe that went some way towards showing what a lot of them have to deal with. Um, so let's move on from his. You know, and uh, back to, back to back to his performance uh, on the field. So you know, he had beaten Green Bay in 2009. It was this big, big thing, big huge story. The first time he faces Green Bay, he beats him. It's one of the great moments in the last 20 years for the Vikings. But in 2010, not the same fate. And they lose to Green Bay. He throws three interceptions. And if you didn't feel like the season was a total wash at that point, um, it ha it had to be there that it was officially like, this is not turning around. This guy can't play anymore. And I wonder what that was like for them to lose to Green Bay. And just, and just what is play looked like to you? Like what you remember about just watching that broken version of Brett Favre? He, he always seemed to be lost. His protection was bad. He, he had lost his, his number one receiving weapon. Uh, he was clearly a step behind. I mean, he was 41. Now, you could say, well, what's the difference between 40 and 41? Well, he was fairly well protected throughout 2009. The Saints put him in a meat grinder. Mm -hmm. He didn't really do much in the off season. He didn't participate in camp. He just showed up when they moved back down to Eden Prairie. And again, there was this sense of, well, we'll just plug back in and play. And it just didn't work out that way. And what I recall, now you're referring to the Green Bay game. Obviously they played them twice. The one that stands out to me is the November, I believe it was 20th, just before Thanksgiving yeah, at the Metrodome. November 21st, yep. Was that his three interception game or yes. was that a different that okay, was what well, they that got is, killed, 31. That is clearly where the season uh, died a, a slow death because what you had was uh, it was a 30-3 to kind of a blowout at home to your arch rival, but you also had players coming unglued on the sideline. I remember distinctly watching uh, Chris Cook getting blowtorched, uh, as he often did in the secondary, coming off and – getting into a shouting match with Ray Edwards, the veteran defensive end after and, and helmets being thrown and water bottles being swiped aside. And you got to remember the Vikings bench is right in front of the press box. I mean, this was all playing out clearly Childress was losing control of the team. Uh, I think they fell to about three and seven at that point, And it was inevitable, inevitable Monday morning, he was going to get fired. And sure enough, by two o'clock, Ziggy Welf was very, creakily standing at the podium trying to explain uh, why Leslie Frazier was the, the answer at the time. But it was, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, yesterday's performance by the Vikings against Atlanta at home is the kind of game that gets a coach fired. Yep, it is. Which was exactly what happened with the Packers. That was the game that clearly showed Brad, Brad Childress was done, and they had they had to make the move. So – I don't know what his contract status was. It clearly wasn't as uh, – he wasn't extended uh, a month before the season like Mike Zimmer was. 
but I remember feeling that day at the Dome, watching it play out in front of us, that this was a team falling apart at the seams. Now, I do seem to remember him getting an extension, though, that offseason after 2009, um, because I... Our pal Sage Rosenfels does not always speak the highest of his head coach at the time. And I think he mentioned something like, imagine extending that guy uh, at that point. So um, as you go toward the end of the season, now I remember when they played the Bills, of course, because that's where I was. And the Bills hurt him like early in that game. And that, uh, that his whole thing had been he played every game. Right. And it had just gone on the streak for a long time. And I remember Arthur Motes hitting him and that kind of being it. And then I think he comes back and plays against what Chicago on the Very ice, sad. on the yes. ice field. So just yes. just tell me what you recall about both of those things. Well, clearly the season was lost and uh, he he clearly got his bell rung for the nth time against Buffalo. And it became sort of this. Are we really? Are we witnessing sort of a death march here? I mean, of a, of a, of a storied career, but also as a, a human being and his health. Like, why, why keep going forward with this? And what you've got to remember, too, is that on December 10th, the Dome falls in. Yeah, yeah. So they relocate the game against the Giants to Detroit. Uh, he's not playing. But they have one more home game to play, I believe, the what would that have been, the 17th or 18th. But it was a huge deal for a couple of reasons. One it was the 50th anniversary celebration of the franchise. So they had already sent out all these invites to all these franchise greats. It was going to be this huge celebration on the field at halftime or pregame or both. Uh, The Vikings were adamant that they had to play a home game. They weren't going to relocate another game. They had to be at home. So they made Herculean efforts to de-winterize TCF Bank Stadium, which had only been open for a year at that time. It was not prepared for sub-freezing temperatures. So they had, you know, it wasn't as simple as sign a lease agreement, we'll play there. They had to uh, redo the plumbing, and they literally had to just restart the whole operation. And and it kept snowing in Minnesota. It snowed for a long time that week. And leading up to this was a Monday night game against the Bears. And the big story was, this is a college field that does not have heating coils under it. It's buried under a mountain of snow that's yep. got to be removed. And also dewinterized and I remember Chris Cluley who was the union rep at the time raising some very legitimate questions about the safety of the field look uh, we're not exactly thrilled to be going out there and putting our our health and safety at risk and sure enough I mean it snowed that Monday they were blowing snow off the field before kickoff and sure enough I don't know what part of the game I think it was the first half Barb goes back to pass and he gets pancaked by a Bears lineman head smashes into that turf you could clearly see in his eyes at that point, he didn't know where he was at. That's exactly how his career ended. Be getting pancaked on a frozen college field in a nothing game. And that's the last image of Brett Favre on a, on a NFL field. And it was, it was really sad and, and almost inevitable. Uh, just the way the year went, the weather was going and uh, it just, Inglorious end, no question. Yeah, and in hindsight, you probably just, I mean, what do you do? You just move the game or you just don't start Brett Favre in that game or I, I don't think I don't he know. should have been on the field. Yeah. I think, and, and nor should he, he gave a very, I mean, he was prone to rambling press conferences, but he was the available post game. And I'm telling you, he was not there faculty wise. That's stunning. And, and I'd actually. love to, I'd love to see what that, that would not happen looks today. like because uh, he had no business being in front of a microphone 
uh, with his brain scrambled the way they were. Man. Um, so now give me your, just to kind of put a, put a bow on this, the Brett Favre era in Minnesota will just forget 2010, but in, in your mind, like, what does it sort of mean to the Brett Favre legacy? I mean, do we just sort of put it under the category of Willie Mays with the Mets? Like that at some point, guys who play too long end up in a bad situation. And I mean, Peyton Manning got super lucky that his worst god-awful horrendous year ends up winning the Super Bowl with one of the great defenses of all time. And then he kind of kind of got it in the playoffs back a little bit um, for Peyton Manning. But this is not that unusual. I watched the end of Jim Kelly as a kid in Buffalo, and I think he had the same end to his career with a concussion being carted off the field the same way that Brett Favre did. So a lot of times it's unceremonious, but the fact that he had come so close the year before, it was with a different franchise. It just has one of those Hakeem Olajuwon with the Raptors kind of ends to it. Yes, um, but I don't, yes. And I think the Vikings bear a lot of responsibility. Well, look, I think he he convinced them to let him play. And, you know, was Leslie Frazier three games into his interim coaching career going to tell a Hall of Famer, no, you can't play anymore? Uh, I think there's a little of that. I think for how chaotic the Vikings season was that year with weather, stadium issues, Randy Moss coming and going, firing your coach, and oh, by the way, just a, a slow, methodical demise of your franchise, you know, a franchise and a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think if you're a Vikings fan or even an NFL fan, I think you have to acknowledge that. I think you have to acknowledge it was an ugly end. But I, Again, and I'm speaking dispassionately because I'm not, I didn't grow up here and I don't have a dog in the race. But if you're a Vikings fan, I still think the fun and the pure joy of 2009, despite its biblical end in New Orleans, I think you have to look back at that as a, as a, as a hell of a ride. Because A, you got to stick it to your cross state rival by taking his hero. But anybody that was at that week two or three game against San Francisco when he throws a, a touchdown pass to Greg Jennings as the clock expires in the back of the end zone from 40 yards away on the run, that's why you got Brett Favre. And that is your glory right there. And, you know, you have to – you just have to – you just have to wonder in his mind, and he, he may never admit this, but I think he, he would have gladly told the boys, I appreciate your – your pitch to me. I love you to death, but I'm done. And, you know, I think he wouldn't have to have this asterisk at the end of his career. Even if they just beat New Orleans and go to the Super Bowl and lose, then that's fine. Cause yeah. what they haven't been to a Super Bowl since 1977. Gerald Ford was still in office for a couple <laughs> of weeks. The last time the Vikings actually played in a Super Bowl. So yes, if he could have done that, he would have walked on water here on water here forever. Yep. Yep. Uh, I need, before we wrap up, the Murph story. I don't know what it is, but I know you. And I know you in 2010 as a reporter did something crazy, and I want to hear about it. Because I have seen you in action. I have seen the person dangling from the roof and you somehow (laughs) finding their phone number and calling them. I have seen you take it to Mike Zimmer. I want to know what happened with you personally in 2010. Well, it was really personal in a lot of ways because I was sort of a caretaker on the beat uh, between beat writers. Jeremy Fowler came in uh, sometime in September and took it over. but I, So I was sort of doing a lot of off-beat stuff, not day-to-day coverage. But what I remember distinctly 
Well, there's two quick things, and you can revisit this with Judd, too, when you talk to him. He'll tell you about this. <laughs> we went out for a beer, imagine that, the two of us, before the first preseason game in San Francisco when Favre had just resigned. And we both sat there, and I told him, I said, this has the potential to be the greatest season in Vikings history or the largest burning train wreck we've ever seen. And we had no idea what was to come, but we just had that vibe of, man, they are on a tightrope right now. So there's that that I remember. And also, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant with my soon-to-be 10-year-old son uh, throughout the, or she was pregnant throughout that season. But as we got into, he was due in, in mid-January when we got, when the roof fell down in December, December 10th on a Saturday night, she went into premature labor and had to go take a taxi cab to the hospital on that Sunday because A, I hadn't plowed the 20 inches of snow. B, <laughs> I was neck deep in trying to figure out where they were going to play this game. And C, there was no way for us to drive. We also had a 17 month at home. I mean, the, 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 the thought of being a horrible husband piling my <laughs> in, maybe in labor wife into a taxi in a blizzard to a hospital while I'm, writing about this stupid dome that fell down made me feel about two inches tall. Fortunately, they halted the, the labor. I didn't end up going to Detroit for that game uh, anyway. But, and, and what, two or three weeks later, we're in Philadelphia. I thought I was going to fly in the day of the game and fly home the next day, right? I fly in. It's 11 o'clock. I turn on the TV in my hotel room. I see the ticker on Fox saying Vikings-Eagles game has been rescheduled until Tuesday night. I had to call my wife on Sunday morning and say, Honey, I'm not going to be home until Wednesday. Uh, that was not a pleasant phone call. So those are the things that I remember is that the chaos of covering that season and also having to balance the, the needs and, and guilt of having an eight and a half, almost nine month pregnant wife dealing with all of this alone. <laughs> <laughs> but everything worked out. Son's great. He's now a very bitter Chase and Vikings fan himself. So, you know, he's, he's truly a, a Minnesotan. Well, the last 10 years have given him plenty of other reasons, even though he uh, did not see 2010 outside the womb. <laughs> yeah, right. But he can claim he was part of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's part of the the story that is 2010. Well, uh, Murph, I really have enjoyed this conversation and reliving it with the uh, the guys who were there because we are now, you know, myself and Courtney and all the other beat reporters, like we get the Zimmer eyeball stories to tell down the road. We, you know, the person hanging from the truss in week 17, all those things. You guys had that in 2010. So this was really fun, man. All right. Thanks for having me. It was a good time. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.